On Saturday, we're having our 4th of July picnic, so that will be on the 2nd. Sign-up sheet is back on that little shelf back there. So if you have not signed up, we encourage you to do so so that we can, uh, Jim and Roe are going to go get all the food and all of that on Friday. And so, but we need to have you signed up for that. And it's going to be at Rocky Point. It will be from 1 o'clock to 6 o'clock. If you would like to help set up, uh, there will be folks out there. Jim will be out there. He would really appreciate you showing up and helping at 11 o'clock. So setting up awnings and all of that. And also, um, you're asked to bring a dessert. So you don't have to bring any of the meal. That's all provided for. But if you'd like to bring a dessert to share cookies or something like that. And then um, coolers. And so now I was thinking we probably should put a limit because everyone probably has a cooler. <laughs> so one each. I mean, not even that. You know, yeah, we, we need a handful for the drinks. That's it. Okay, yeah, and then you'll have the ice and everything available. Okay, so yeah, so that's coming up this Saturday. Um, yes. Right. And the last one I had on my computer was 13, but I know that there was some in a drawer back to the, like, 2003 or something like that. Hmm, yeah. But I was thinking, out of all the picnics we've done, only one time have we not gone to Rocky Point. Oh, right, yeah. Yes, right. That's right. That's right. Well, except when you guys moved away, we just stopped doing it all together. (laughs) So... (laughs) because <laughs> no one wanted to take it on <laughs> um, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 so you could make your way there to our amazement Roe versus Wade was overturned I never thought I would ever see that um and it seems as if the world is coming unglued, you know, or at least our country is coming unglued. I think it's safer to say the world is coming unglued. Why, why does the world care what we do? But they do, and, and uh, we know that now it's gone, going back to the state, each state. And for those of us who live on the, on the West Coast, we, we know where our state stands, and Oregon and California, we need to be praying. And the reason we need to be praying is because I think that these governors are going to push the envelope when it comes to abortion in some of these states like our own. So we need to be praying for that. You know, uh, why do we believe in the sanctity of life? Because God teaches us in his word the sanctity of life. And, you know, to take a life like that is forbidden in God's word and it goes against his his very nature and character as a creator and we need to be prepared guys for what may be coming I warn you and I I know that someone's oh it's doomsday it's not doomsday it's prepare yourself day but um we just need to be prepared for what's coming. 
And we already know that, you know, there have been churches, there have been pregnancy care centers, you know, uh, that have been attacked. In Colorado, that center was uh, firebombed and, or torched. And, um, you know, and, and that was just, you know, a few days after this whole thing was announced. So we just need to be praying for the protection of uh, the churches and these ministries that support and really, you know, are an aid for the pregnant woman who is making a decision, you know. I think with the Pregnancy Care Center, we had a fundraising concert a few months ago. And, um, you know, we support things like this because they're not only giving an alternative, they're not only ministering to the women um, before and after they, you know, make their decision to, you know, keep the child, but they're also sharing the gospel, and so, you know, we support things that are gospel-centered. And um, when, when it's not gospel-centered, we just kind of pull back. And, uh, you know, there were a few years where we pulled back from even our own center here for a period of time. And we felt like they needed to get focused again. And once they got focused again, then we kind of went back as a church and, and started supporting that. So, so, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord. We rejoice in what's happening. It almost doesn't make sense in this crazy world that we live in that seems to be so anti-you, anti-God. But Lord, uh, we know that there's a reason behind everything. We, we pray for our state. We pray for our governor, Lord. We could all kind of sneer and, you know, say something nasty about him, but we pray that he would be born again, that he'd be saved and that he would change his mind on these things, Lord. And uh, reflecting upon his announcement after this whole thing was announced, that he said that we are going to fight, fight like hell, uh, you know. And, 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 and Lord, we're going to fight the warfare of heaven. So we're going to stand. We're going to stand in your truth. And we're going to give people the hope of salvation in Christ. Bless our time in your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, one more announcement. I have so many things on my mind here. So next week, we'll finish up the book of Malachi. The week after that, no Wednesday night because we'll have VBS, so everything down here will be VBS, you know. And then uh, the week following VBS, we're going to meet upstairs. I announced on Sunday that we're going to be doing a topic or a series of studies on true discipleship. And I encourage the folks, if you're there at that service, I don't think I mentioned it at the first service, but we really encourage people that typically don't come out on Wednesday night to come out for that. I think that it's an important topic in light of the days in which we're living. You know, there's one thing you want to be sure of. And that is that you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you've truly placed your faith in him, that you've truly been born again of his spirit. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people, they just kind of assume things. And we're beyond assuming. We need to know without a shadow of a doubt. So Malachi chapter 3, and beginning in verse 13. Your words have been harsh or stout or strong against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, 
What have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, which they had not? That's not in your text. That's my commentary. (laughs) And that we have walked as mourners, which the Lord never told them to. Another bit of commentary. Before the Lord of hosts, verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up, are built up. They even tempt or test God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate or esteem or love on his name, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewel or my special treasure, my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. You know, guys, first of all, I want to look at this from man's perspective because obviously we have here two examples of God's people because they were they were God's people two examples of God's people saying things about God some were saying bad things about God others were saying good things about God when you read the text the thing that jumps out at me is that it doesn't doesn't matter if it was the bad things they were saying it's useless to serve the Lord Or the good things they were saying, and we're not really told what they were saying, just that they were speaking and it brought pleasure to the Lord. The fact of the matter is is that God heard it all. And God hears it all. In fact, you guys know it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the writer of Hebrews says... The eyes of the Lord are upon us. But in Malachi, our text tonight, we could say, but also are his ears attentive to to what's being said about him. And so from man's perspective, we could, on a level, identify with some of the things that they were saying. The Lord says that you're speaking harsh words against me. Then when they asked you know, what words, what are we saying that's harsh against you? And he told them it's useless to serve the Lord. Now, we might not be able to identify with that. But as you go down, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. There are times when you get discouraged because it seems like those in the world those who reject the lord those who have no interest in the things of god at all seem to be prospering do you ever feel that way this isn't a trick question so many times when i ask a question you guys look at me like i'm setting you up i've never set you up i've never set you up you all act like i'm always you know waiting for the you know the bomb to hit you know but but we do feel this way I felt this way. Maybe you're too spiritual to feel this way. But I, I'm in good company because you know what? There's others that have felt this way. 
Psalm 73. Why don't you turn there with me? Psalm 73, a psalm from Asaph. Familiar psalm. In fact, at our prayer meeting on Sunday night, Nehemiah was praying and he brought up this very psalm as he was praying, which triggered me to open my Bible to this particular text. And I began, as people were praying, I began to read different things in here. And I thought, boy, this ties right in with our Malachi teaching. Look at verse 1. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious, look at I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in, the, in their death. Now, of course, that's not true. But you know, when you lose perspective, you begin to think everything goes well for them. I mean, they just go to sleep at night and die. I mean, there's no pain. There's no, you know, that's not true. But Asaph lost perspective. But their strength is firm. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are, they, uh, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. <laughs> they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lofty, loftily. And set their mouth against the heavens, so that would be against the Lord. And their tongue walks through the earth. Asaph, he lost perspective. The people in Malachi's day, they were losing perspective. You know, we're, we're walking with the Lord, the Lord, trying to keep his ordinances. Well, of course they weren't. They weren't being obedient to the Lord. And that happens a lot. You know, you have people, they, they think that they're doing a certain thing, but they're not really doing that thing. And then they begin to blame God because the blessings of God aren't on their life. In the same psalm, if you go down to verse 17, we see that Asaph gets perspective. And you'll note where he gets it. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. See, I, I got perspective. Why? In the sanctuary of God, where the word of God is being taught, I got perspective. It may seem th this way. It may seem that they're prospering. It may seem that they're being blessed, even though they don't even serve God. But it's not true. Surely you, Lord, you set them in slippery places. You, you, Lord, cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their images. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. See, it, it's focused. Now it's, Lord, you, you, you're, you're going to take care of them. But Lord, you're also going to take care of me. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. 
You say, well, that's one, Asaph, he lost perspective. Job lost perspective, too. Good old Job. Don't you love Job? I love Job. This man, Job chapter 21. You know, his whole world came crashing down. You think of the things that Job experienced. I mean, Job is like an innocent bystander, you know. He's just loving the Lord and serving the Lord. And <laughs> the angels and Satan himself comes before the Lord says, have you considered Job? Why do you have to bring my name up, you know? And, well, he's faithful because you've blessed him, you know, and well, you know how the whole thing goes down. But Job in chapter 21, as he's going back and forth with his friends, remember why they came? They came to comfort him. You don't want friends like that, like these guys. But in verse 7 it says, why did the wicked live and become old? In other words, why do they have a long life? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bulls breed without failure. Their cows calve, calves uh, without miscarriages. They send forth their little ones like a flock, their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth in, and in a moment go down to the grave. Again, you know, it's the same type of thing. When they die, it's no big thing. It's just kind of a, you know, easy thing for them. Yet they say to God, depart from us. For we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? Boy, it sounds like Malachi. And what profit do we have if we pray to him? So back to Malachi. So from man's perspective, you have these people. They've lost perspective. They look at those who don't serve the Lord and they conclude, you know what, we've, we've got a raw deal. Because we're God's people. We're seeking to be obedient to the Lord, to his ordinances. And yet, we're struggling. We're lacking. We're suffering. We're going through difficulties. We're going through trials. Christians deal with this as well, many times. You just kind of lose perspective. And this is why we need to be people of the word. You know, as we're in the word, we... We understand the purpose of trials. I remember when I was a brand new Christian and I was studying the scriptures and I thought it was such a strange thing. It, it, Peter tells us not to think it a strange thing, but I thought it was such a strange thing that I was going through these trials, these things that I had never experienced before. I had hardships when I was a non-believer. Many of them I brought upon myself, but now I'm a Christian and I'm having these strange things happen and I'm wondering what's going on? And a Christian brother said, well, let, let me show you what's going on. He took me to Peter's epistle and James' epistle, and he says, you know, these are trials, and they're for your benefit, and the Lord's working through these trials in your life uh, to produce patience and so on and so forth, you know, and, you, and you're beginning to put the pieces together. Oh, now, okay, I understand this. So from man's perspective, we understand 
why these people might have been complaining against God. I'm not saying they were justified. I'm just simply saying, from man's perspective, you could understand the human disenchantment, you know, or, uh, you know, discouragement, and they look at things and they begin to value things in a certain way. But from God's perspective, God, he's their heavenly father. He has, he has, uh, he has birthed them. They are the offspring of Abraham. Remember, this is the children of Israel. God chooses one man. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abram. And I'm going to bless your seed, uh, Paul tells us this in Galatians. I love the way Paul says uh, to his readers in Galatians, he says, I want you to know, it doesn't say seeds, plural. It says seed, singular. The seed is Christ. So the blessing of Abraham, even for the Old Testament saints, you know, the, the real blessing who comes through Abraham is through Christ. Christ is the seed that all peoples will be blessed. But, you know, he looks and he says, I've, I've, I've done everything for you. I've, I've delivered your forefathers, you know, out of their Egyptian captivity. You think of the children of Israel. It was a family. They weren't a people, you know, a group, a, a nation in one sense. They were, they were a family. 70 members, they go into captivity. They're in Egypt. They're in Egypt for 400 plus years. While they're there during that time period, they begin to multiply and to grow. Even when the Egyptians toward the end there tried to keep them from growing, tried to, well, late-term abortion their babies, remember, in the Nile, the Lord was still preserving. The Lord still had a remnant of midwives that refused to do what they were commanded to do. God was moving in, in, the, in the hearts of the people because God had a plan for them. He leads them out of uh, their Egyptian captivity. He blesses them. In one sense, they're able to pillage their neighbors without stealing. The Lord just put it upon the hearts of their neighbors to give them. And that's where they had this gold and all these different things that they had, and so they'd leave. And, and of course, we see the wilderness years, 40 years, 39 years, you know, rounded off to 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, unfaithful, doubting God, questioning every step of the way. God doesn't give up on them. He's like a loving father. And, uh, and I mention that because, you know, guys, it doesn't matter how far into the future, in the Old Testament, you get. For the children of Israel, they always looked back at that. That was always a point of reference for them. They would always say, you blessed our fathers. I mean, read the prophets. You blessed our fathers when you brought them out of Egypt. Now, this generation should have been saying, you blessed our fathers and us when you brought us out of the Babylonian captivity, you know. But but they just, they just were losing perspective. They were complaining. They were whining. God heard. God was taking note. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the life application that I get from this first group is that it's a frightening thing to know that God hears. God sees. God hears. That's a sobering thought. It really is. 
God sees, God hears, God knows. And we need to be so careful because we live in a generation where the proud are blessed. This thing is so hot. Where the, pro- um, the proud are blessed. And, uh, and we need to have our bearings. We, we, need to have, we need to be anchored in the word of God. Last week, I heard of four different pastors, well-known pastors, who thought it was necessary for them to apologize to the gay community for the way the evangelical church has treated them. And so they took it upon themselves to be a spokesman or spokesman for the church as a whole. And we want to apologize to you, you know. We call the proud. Proud and loud. We call them blessed. And this is a movement that's happening in the church today. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to buy into it. Because, see, many of us, sadly... We are driven by our emotions, by our feelings. Well, I love somebody. No one's saying you're not supposed to love somebody that is in a you know, lifestyle like that or anything. That has nothing to do with it. See, we, we begin to throw like our emotional excuses at the problem, like baloney on a wall, you know. Let's see if something sticks here or something, you know. But the fact of the matter is, is that the word of God stands true. You know, on Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at our next portion of scripture in in, Mark's gospel. It is the longest account from Jesus about hell. And that's a reality. See, and that's something that's under attack. It's been under attack in the evangelical church for a long, long time. Isn't it funny titles? You know, um, I used to think it was safe to call myself an evangelical. I don't use that term any longer because of those who associate, those who are within that realm, they call themselves evangelicals. I I keep going back to the biblical term. I am a born-again Christian. It seems to be, you know, it's surely the most biblical, uh, uh, you know, definition of, of what we are. If you truly are a born again Christian, you're born again. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't born into a church. You were born into Christ, and you are not members of a church. You are members of the body of Christ, and it's not something you could do. You know, you don't. I want to sign up on the on the uh, membership roll. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that's my end now. I'm on the, the roll, you know, and, and um, it's not that at all. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You can go to church all, all your life. You could be in the ministry. You could be, have a teaching ministry behind a pulpit or a music ministry in a church and, and never have a relationship with the Lord. This is tragic. But we, we need to realize that there's this shift. People look at things. They begin to reevaluate things. We saw this happen in the two years, two plus, of the whole COVID thing. 
by the way, it's coming back. Are you aware that um, the whole um, uh, vaccine mandates have been worked on? Now, we haven't heard about it because they're not talking about it, but they're working on it right now for different states. This whole Roe versus Wade thing, it's going back to each state, and so is state by state vaccine mandates. It has not gone away. I don't know that they're going to use the same thing, but just today I heard an interview from our new state health you know, representative. His fan, fan, he's a fan of Fauci. And um, we know where Fauci got us, you know, for the past couple of years. And, but I'm telling you, you know, we, we, have to, we have to be anchored in the word of God. So as things are changing, do we change with it? No. We need to stay the course. We need to say, this is what the word of God says. These folks, they should have... They should have encouraged each other. They said, you know, someone maybe pipes up and says, you know, it's useless, it's meaningless, it's vain to serve God. Someone should have rebuked him and said, you know what, brother? You're wrong. It's not useless to serve God. You're looking for instant gratification. I did this for God, so now, God, you deliver. And this is kind of the mindset of a lot of people in churches. You owe me, God. God doesn't owe us anything. No, he does owe us. <laughs> he owes us. And I'm so glad we don't get it because he's merciful to us. His mercies are new every morning. Don't ever pray, Lord, give me what I deserve. <laughs> don't do that because he might just give it to you. You know, like he wouldn't because he's gracious. But, but you know what I mean. But we need to be people. We're not, we're not changing. We're not kind of going with the, the flow of everything. We're, we're staying the course. We should be, this is why fellowship is so important. They should have encouraged one another. What profit is it to, to keep his ordinances? Someone should have said, you know, have we really kept his ordinances? We're his people. He sent, he gave us his law, his ordinances. He sent his prophets to us. His prophets didn't go to other nations. His prophets came to our nation. Why did all the prophets come to our nation? And why did they always have a rebuking message for us? God's prophet to God's people, and there's always a bite to it. Why? And you would think they would say, because we need it. Because we're not right. Because we're, we're blending in, we're conforming, we're becoming like the world around us. We're not valuing things, or evaluating things the way we should because we're not biblically minded. We're walking around like mourners. You know, the Lord never told them to walk around as mourners. Remember the, all the old westerns? And you'd always have the pastor, the reverend, in some dusty town, you know, and he'd be dressed in black. And he'd always have a somber face. And he goes, ah, you know, but that's not a right representation of Christianity, but neither is it a right representation of, of Judaism. Let me give you an example, Psalm 100, one example, there's so many, but this one, well, it's a, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord, there it is, serve the Lord. See, serving the Lord is important, guys. We read in Job, we read in 
uh, Psalm 73. Now we're in Psalm 100. We read in Malachi, there's a theme here of serving. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Boy, is that the problem today? I'll do what I want to do, and you better be okay with it. I'll tell you guys, we know, and I am convinced more than ever that God is a gracious God, because as I watch, and you've watched, these lunatics blaspheme, scream at God, shake their fist, use all sorts of four-letter words directed toward God. We want our abortions. We don't want your blanking Jesus. And God doesn't send down a consuming fire and torch them on the pavement in which they're standing. God is a gracious God. Because he doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. And some of these people we trust will repent and come to faith in Christ. You know, off topic, but just thinking of those who blaspheme. I was listening to a pastor that I've been listening to lately, and he was saying that um, there was a fellow who uh, had read a, a book that he had written, and the fellow had come to faith in Christ. He's not, he's not saying I'm, you know, taking credit because it was my book, but he's the Spirit of God. But he said the guy was a Satanist, and he had tattooed on the bottom of his foot the cross of Christ, and his thinking was every step I'm stepping on the cross of Christ. And he says the guy got saved. He's a pastor now, and you know, serving the Lord. And, you know, God is a gracious God. God is a gracious God. So don't think, you know, that we don't see things happening, that God is impotent or, you know, unable. That's not true. He's long-suffering. Well, back to this. The Lord, knowing that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. That's the God we serve. So wonderful. Well, there's that group. There's those folks. They were talking about the Lord, but they weren't saying good things. They were speaking against the Lord, in fact, that word against um, or harsh, it literally means to fasten upon, to seize upon, to be strong or courageous against. And of course, the against is against the Lord himself. So you have that group, and then we have another group. Now, this group, the Lord, he hears and he takes notice. Verse 16 then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I mentioned this on Sunday. I got some strange looks on Sunday at our prayer meeting because I asked the question, what motivates us to place our faith in Christ? Now, I'm talking about the non-believer, and so often we think like believers. Once you become a believer, everything's from that perspective. But from a non-believer standpoint, I said, what? <laughs> What was the motivation in coming to Christ? Was it the love of God or was it the forgiveness because you recognize you're a sinner? 
And I think many of the folks in the circle expected me to say it was the love of God because the love of God is amplified for us who are believers. But I said, it's not the love of God. It's the acknowledgement that I'm a sinner. And it's a frightening thing, you know, uh, to be in the, uh, the hands of an angry God, you know, the sinner in the hands of an angry God. And, and if we don't understand that, then we will never fear God. God is the big man upstairs, you know. Yeah, we got fist bumps, you know, and this kind of irreverent attitude toward God. And there's no fear of God. But what does that mean? What does that word mean? What is, it means to revere, but it also means to be frightened. And it means to put into fear. I was thinking about that tonight before you folks came. And I was sitting back there on that table, and I was thinking of the fear of God. And I thought, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for, by his mercy and grace for probably 44 years and serving the Lord and teaching his word and loving him. But I thought, what would it be like as a mere man on your own to stand before God? Now, first of all, we have to, because, you know, yeah, God, he's got that big, long, you know, white hair and the white beard. No. What do you mean, no? Any description that we have with human characteristics is a theophany or a Christophany. It is the appearance of Christ because God is spirit. In the book of Revelation, when John sees the throne of God, what does he describe? He's not describing a person on a throne. He describes a throne. He describes this rainbow, of all things, this emerald rainbow, because it's God's rainbow. That's another thing that has been stolen. But the, a rainbow that encircles the throne of God. He sees this representation of God. And how does he respond you know, he doesn't do what we see all the... You know, I, I watched this little video uh, a week or so ago of all these people, well-known people, if I mentioned them, you would know who they are, who claim to have gone to heaven. And uh, each one of them would share their stories. And, and um, you know, probably the worst one was Jesse Duplantis, you know. And, oh, man, the way he talked about God and how... <laughs> You know, God was having a hard day, and I just needed to go and encourage God. And I mean, it was so blasphemous. It was so disgusting. It was so gross. And I couldn't help but think, this guy's popular. This guy's flying around in jets that he, you know, he rakes in the money from, from I, I'm going to say it. I'm trying to be nice in my old age, but I'm going to say it. Stupid people who don't know the scriptures and don't know how to discern when a charlatan is standing before them, lying to them to get into their pocketbook. Because I'll tell you, he would not have a platform, and people like him would not have a platform if people were not supporting the work. I think of genuine works of God that just struggle. They say, where's the hand of God? See, that's what the health and wealth guys say. Where's the hand of God? Here's the proof that God's blessing me because I have all the stuff. 
and there's going to be a day of reckoning because God is going to say, you have all the stuff because you got the stuff from the people that you deceived because they wanted to hear what you wanted, what you're preaching because you were feeding on the greed of people. Tell me something. Tell me, what, what will I get out of this? Tell me more. Tell me more. And I'll tell you, this is why, again, we need to be people of the scriptures. When we look at the scriptures, why is it, Old Testament and New Testament alike, why is it there seems to be so much emphasis upon the poor? Why did God do that? Why does James warn us about the rich? He says, you know, when the rich come into your gatherings, your ecclesia, and they come in and they've got the, the nice ring and the nice garment. And you say, oh, please come up here, sit in a place of honor. You sit here. And someone comes in with shabby clothes. You know, you sit back there. You know, we don't want uh, you to represent our group here. He says, are you not making a judgment out of partiality, out of greed? Why? Because you assume that the, the one who's dressed shabbily, he can't, she can't give you anything but the rich guy you might get something from him boy in my mind one thing leads to the next to the next this is why I ramble this is why I go down rabbit trails pastors should not know who gives in a church that is a setup for a fall for the pastor. And any pastor that wants to look at, you know, well, let's look at the book. So who's given and who's doing this and who's doing that? Because I'm telling you, man, if a pastor has interest in who's giving, then his interest is because he's going to treat some people differently I mean, really, what would the motive be? What, it just is not right. But anyway, the Lord, he says, and those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord. Twice he repeats it, feared the Lord, feared the Lord, feared the Lord. I'm so glad that when we finally stand before Father, we will not stand before Father in these bodies. That's why we need new ones. We will not stand before the Father without Christ, without the righteousness of Christ. I mean, everything's going to be different in Christ. I, I just, I can't even imagine. Sometimes I think of what, what the Lord knows, the secrets of my heart. And I'm ashamed before him. I, um, that's the fear of God. And I think that's something that should be developed. I remember many years ago, I had a fellow come up, and he was angry. I was talking about the fear of God, and he came up and after service, Bible study, and he says, I, could, I will never fear God. And I, so I wanted some clarity. I, well, what do you mean? I can never fear God. I can never fear him. He's my heavenly father. I can never fear him. And I said, well, maybe you're misunderstanding 
what the fear of God is, you know. And he goes, no. And, and again, his whole idea was of God was like he was like, like your dad or your grandfather. You know, I would never, um, you know, fear my, my dad or my grandfather. I ran away from home one time because of my grandfather. I should have feared him a little bit more. As a teenager, and I was mouthy, and um, and he kind of came back to me with something, and and my mom said, uh, "Don't talk to your grandfather like that." And I said, "Okay, I'm out of here." She goes, "There's the door." <laughs> Took me a week to get into my system that maybe I should humble myself out, come back and apologize to grandpa and my mom and but it was a lesson learned. But I never feared my grandfather. I loved him. He loved me. Uh, but I fear God. To think of standing in his presence is a frightening thing. He says it twice, those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. The word meditate, it means to esteem, but it also carries the idea of uh, pondering, thinking upon. In fact, let me read the verse to you. It's out of the old King James. It says, then they that fear the Lord spake often, I like that, often, one to another, and the Lord hearkened. And that's what the, the 